All right, so we're here already. Welcome, Jean. How are we doing? Doing good, man. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. As I said, long time no see. I know. Thank you for joining us from the space station. Everything looks very sterilized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, my office is very boring. So this is what you got. You got a white wall. It is what it is. It's fine. We'll get we'll get a couple of fake diplomas and some yeah. macaroni pictures <laughs> from the kids and stuff. Exactly. You got plenty of that crap. Okay. I'm the worst parent when it comes to that, too. Like, I'm, I'm not the sentimental, like, let's keep all your artwork. If it's not good artwork, I'm not keeping it. I'm sorry. I'm not that guy. Damn. <laughs> I got standards. And they better have some standards, too. Sorry, two-year-old. <laughs> you, you know what? You're raising a, a standard of excellence. Exactly. And you're we're children, not going to reward mediocrity. We're not giving participation trophies out. That's our generation has been bad-mouthed for for so apparently we love that participation trophies we don't yeah. even want to win we're just happy with the ribbon yeah it's a little silly. for certain things i get it I, I i get it i get the why behind it mm -hmm. but after a certain age it's like come on you know it's it, we're playing sports here yeah i heard like no one really thinks they won when they get a participation trophy. you know they're not like yeah yeah but so you have for a five-year-old they're just happy to have a trophy though so it's mm -hmm. good for that age you you are with children. You you are a father. I am to three. Imagine that three. Yeah. When I first started, I was so. When I first started, um, I think Elijah. He's our twelve year old, and he was probably my wife was either pregnant or he was like a newborn when I first started getting into comedy, and um, so since then we got the three. We got Elijah's twelve. London is nine. And then our newest one, uh, Shiloh, is two and a half. She'll be three in June. Damn. Congratulations. That is amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Funny, like, your first child is kind of a good marker point for, like, when yeah. your stand-up <laughs> career. Like, yeah. 12 years ago, we're talking 2008 now. And that is, I was looking through my past um, flyers for the show I had, Pasta de Haha, and I I only found like one or two with you on them. I remember yeah. not being able to get you as much as I wanted. Really? Um, or maybe you have a different, maybe you were like, that motherfucker doesn't book me. What the hell? Um, <laughs> that's, that's how I remember it. I was like, I never got a call from Daniel. I felt like my comedy wasn't smart enough. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear that. I, I, I hated that because we had plenty of stupid people, but hopefully, hopefully there was nothing like that um, no. happening. But it was it was uh, it was another time. We were running around in the Miami scene, running into each other. Going to Churchill's and yeah. Uh, what what was a little like snapshot of your life then? You were what were you expecting to get out of stand-up comedy back then? What was your attitude? You know, so like for the longest time, I had this love for comedy like i was fun in circles you know and i'm sure you probably had a similar feeling where you were funny in groups and you know you you loved comedy you like making people laugh you just had that feeling that was a really cool feeling when people laugh at your jokes even in just inner circles and i always wanted to do stand up you know i used to, used to i used to watch stand up you know all that and i was probably so 2008 i was 29 and I hadn't been on stage. I'd never written a joke. 
And a friend of mine, what was the motivator, which is a really weird motivator, but what actually got me off the bench to finally do stand up was a friend of mine who was, I'm not going to say who it was, but she knows who she is because I've told her this. She is one of the like nicest people you will ever meet. And her and her husband got into boxing. So she was at this gym doing boxing and she actually got into an exhibition match and fought someone. And we're talking about like, it just did not make sense for her because she's the nicest person in the world to be like punching people. And it didn't go great for her. She got in some licks, but you know, she, she got hit a lot more <laughs> than she was hitting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, dude, if she can get in here and actually get punched in the face with somebody, I can get on stage finally and quit talking about it. And if I get booed, I get booed. Like I'm at least I'm not getting punched in the face. So that was, that was it. I was like, I love that. (laughs) That's how I felt about it. I was like, you know what? I got to stop talking about it. You know, either do it or don't. And at some point, you know, I just didn't want to live with the regret of not knowing, you know, not having it. So, um, so I finally had signed up for, uh, it was my first improv show. This was my first show, but my first like improv show was one of those. Remember they had the the competition, the turkey competition shows that they did at the Fort Lauderdale one. Um, so it, I signed up for that, but it was like maybe two months out. And I was like, there's absolutely no way this is going to be my first show. So Colin was a friend of mine at the time. And he took me around to some of the, the local like coffee spots. You know, there was. A, was it Java Delights, I think, was one of them. There was another one up in uh, Boca. Did you ever get up to that one? Right. The Funky Buddha. It was the Funky Buddha. Oh, Funky Buddha. Fantastic. Yeah, that was a mainstay. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So he took me around to some of the spots and, uh, you know, I just started trying to put this, put a set together and and get ready for that show. And did, and I ended up winning that show. Damn. (laughs) That's pretty cool. I was was about to say, did you get pummeled emotionally the way your friend got pummeled physically? Yeah, definitely. In some of those early ones, like my first one was pretty brutal. Uh, First time up as most of us, like the first time up, you just need to like tear the bandaid off and do it. If you get your first time, you are getting set up for some ridiculous expectations. Like yeah. those class shows at the improv where your first show is for friends and family on the beautiful stage. Right. Everyone crushes. And then you go to the real world in an open mic next week and you're like, just your world shatters because you just Yeah, but not everybody crushes. I'm sure you remember some of those shows where you know you have the open mic and you got to bring their 10 people or whatever. And there were some folks that got up there and it was their first time ever doing comedy. I'm like, how in the world do you get to a room of that size and you let that be your first time? Like, <laughs> that was always weird to me. I was like, you're not gonna, you're gonna try it now? You're gonna try that joke for the first time now? Right, right. That's People ballsy. No understanding of the game and how to come up. <laughs> those open mic nights were brutal. I, I was just meaning those like, those special shows like where you take a class at the improv and it's all- always- oh, yeah closed group you know those those open mic shows were savage because everyone was like rooting for their own person and sometimes they'd want to laugh for others especially those contest shows yeah they'd be watching you laugh or like laughing at you and be like no i gotta laugh at my friend yeah competitions and comedy always ridiculous but um so that was then flash forward if this was a normal comedy podcast we'd be still going down that train yeah later you're you no longer have been pursuing stand-up comedy how when did that change um you know i was i was listening to somebody else on on your podcast and they were 
were just talking about how they never really liked the grind of it, you know, like the going out and the getting to the shows. And I never minded that. Like, I enjoyed that. You know, I, I feel like that's, and that's a different perspective too. I feel like if you like that aspect of it, you can be successful in it. For me, it was having my son, you know, like I would go to these shows and I wasn't in a great place financially. Like we just were not doing well. So it was costing me money to go to some of these shows. Like we weren't getting paid. So you have to drive over to Naples or, <clears throat> excuse me, or, or, you know, wherever. And you might get a hundred bucks or 50 bucks, but then you end up drinking with all the comics afterwards. So yeah, <laughs> you're done. You're yeah. If you break even. Yeah. You end up in a deficit every single time. So that's really what was um, the tipping point for me where it was just, you know, I couldn't, I, I couldn't sustain it as much as I liked it. It's just, I probably started just too late. Interesting. And I just didn't, you know, I felt like um, ultimately I think that you either kind of dedicate to it and you say, I'm going to do this or I'm not. And for me, as much as I loved it, I thought I was pretty good at it. Um, I just didn't want to wait. I, I could be years, you know, you just don't know how long it's going to take before that thing happens. And I had a kid to take care of. So, you know, fortunately my wife was still around. So we're, you know, we weren't married at the time, but um, it just, you know, it is what it is. Dude. Well, I mean, and you managed take to get educated. Yes. To stay together, to make these decisions together as a family, like that, that kind of thing I've seen many times where that breaks up the marriage because the one person's like, no, I need to follow this. And the other person's like, sometimes they're flexible enough to try for a while. And then sometimes they're like, look, this is just not sustainable. Like you said, um, yeah. I, man, I think it's such a hard, but important ability to be able to like, check yourself and be like, look, what, what is my life going to be like in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Do I still yeah. be hustling for these drink ticket shows? so that I can pop and like, which very well could have been the reality. Like I still could have been doing that same thing, you know, until you get that, that one break or that, you know, or you move to LA cause you got to make it happen out there and, and will the family come along? So for me, it was that man, like there's, there's definitely some selfishness to it. Like I want to still do it. I wish I had pursued it, but at the end of the day, I did value the family aspect and I wanted that more than anything else. So that's what was the priority. Dude. amen and it's just it's funny to see that like the what if kind of scenarios like you mentioned you know maybe you got into it a little late you know what if yeah what if you had gotten into it i jumped into it right after college and when i was in 2008 in casa i was maybe like 22 so starting my 20s you were finishing your 20s at that point right and my 30s hit me like a ton of bricks yeah, <laughs> like my priorities completely just shifted overnight. They did not, and you know, this whole podcast is just trying to figure out what am I doing with stand up? What is the relationship here? Well, how is this yeah. going to enrich my life and not make me worse, not take away from my life? Um, but that's the thing, like, exactly like you said, you know, it's you know, and I'm there, we know people who that have, you know, they made that decision and they stuck with it. and and maybe they were successful, maybe they're still grinding, but there is a cost, you know, they, it costed their family something or it costed the relationship. So there's definitely that, but also I think once you get a, a taste of it, you don't get that out of your system, you know? So exactly what you're saying, where you got to scratch that itch, 
you know, I was so once you called me, I was like, absolutely. I want to like get on this podcast because I've had that. I'm like 42 now. So I'm I, I'm like desperate to scratch that itch again. Like, do I need to go get on stage somewhere just right. to find a way to do it? Do I need to like start a podcast? Like, I have no idea what to do to scratch that creative itch because it's only getting itchier. <laughs> I can just see this like red bump on the back. Yeah, exactly. It's like plaque psoriasis that's taking over my whole arm and I don't know what to do about it. There's no ointment that's working. That's the comedy calling or something like once you're jumped in once you're once you get a taste of that real the lifestyle the laughter what it really is i don't think everyone who starts comedy gets a taste of that but if you're in it yeah. for a while you at least taste it vicariously or hopefully you get you know you get a bite onto it so do you remember that first like because that's really what does it it's that first moment that first time you killed and you had a great set that's what like gets you hooked do you remember that first night was it like, was it pretty early on for you or? It was probably like my my first thing was a college competition where uh, we had like two preliminary shows that were in the dark in grass, like before a movie night, which were terrifying. But it led up to an actual show, which was the contest. And I had support and I did well. I practiced. I did well enough for my first thing. And yeah, yeah that was it was just like a different reality, like a new drug, a new and I, I myself, like you, I had been funny in the back of the room and with my own close friends. I never thought it was something I could bring yeah. people and become an extrovert like that. You know, that's was my first five years in Miami. It was like, it took me five years to start inviting people to see me because I was, I was so unsure of how I was, yeah. you know, even I had nice people saying things or I would have quit long ago. But yeah, man, do you, what about you? What was your, uh, was it that turkey? Uh, that that would have been the first one. Yeah. When I first did it, like the first time I got on stage, like I said, I was terrible, drunk, like it was, it was, it was atrocious. Um, but I felt good. Like it was, it, I didn't care that I didn't do well. It was just the fact that I did it. I was you like, okay, now I got to Exactly. Like you said, I got to practice now. Like I have to make this good. Uh, and that show was the first time that it was, I put a set together. I was, you know, on point with my time, uh, and I just delivered and to have a whole room of 300 plus people laughing at some idea you came up with at the same time. Yeah. You feel like, uh, like you said, it's that drug. It's a, it, you feel like a maestro. For sure. That's interesting how that, uh, once you turn that, you flick that switch, even though you realize maybe that's not where the room in my head I need to live in right now, that, that light is still on. That itch is still getting itchier. Yeah. <laughs> What um, what do you see? What do you anticipate, if anything, scratching that itch? Because if you don't, eventually it turns into some sort of disease or something. We all know that. Yeah, yeah, and I think I don't know, man. Like uh, I've been, I'm actually in a in a process now trying to figure out what that next step is. Because I think if it was if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, I probably would have been working on a set to do a stand. You know. Uh, an open mic somewhere, mm -hmm. um, which I still might do, but I don't know. I got to figure out what that, what that next thing is. Cause it's been years since I've been on stage. The last time I was on stage, I was working at, uh, I don't know if I should say the name or not, but I was working at Apple at the time and it was in South Florida and they had like this all market. So all the stores in the area came together and um, they had like a talent show, you know, as part of the meeting. 
So everybody was like, they knew I had done stand up. They were like, you have to do this. So I had no choice. And all of my material, if you remember my stuff, like there's no way I could have performed any of that <laughs> at a corporate event. Like it, it was, so I never got booked for any corporate shows back then. And I, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, so I had to write, this is my first time writing like a whole new set, whole new five minutes of material that I had never practiced. I didn't have time to like practice the set. I just, you know, you, once you get on stage a few times, you kind of know what's going to work and what's not. What I remember about that though, was that was my first time actually, I had played around and done tangents in my material. That was my first time actually writing in a tangent into the joke and writing a, you know, a, a different direction and then coming back to the joke. Mm -hmm. So I always thought that was a, a good, a cool moment. Um, yeah, but if I had known that was my last time, I probably would have milked it a little bit. <laughs> was that, oh, that was your last time? That was my last time being on stage, yeah. I'm not, wow. I still write jokes, like I'm sure, of course, you, I don't think you ever stopped doing that. Right. But actually performing, uh, that was the last time. So you had a clean corporate gig to go out, did it yeah. all right? Yeah, it went really well, actually. You know, it was, uh, people still talk about some of the jokes, like, uh, I had this, it was this one joke about <laughs> um, my son who was probably four at the time, and it was this stupid joke about him being obsessed with boobs because he was still, no, he wasn't four because he would have been nursing, so uh -huh. It was a stupid joke about him being obsessed with booze because he was nursing and uh, <laughs> and me teaching him how to be discreet about it and saying, like, you got a bumping cup, which is super rapey joke now. <laughs> but people still say bumping cup. They'll remind me of that joke. And I don't even uh, remember the setup. I don't remember the joke. Oh, and man. people still remind, remember that thing. You know, there's always that one thing about a joke that people grab onto. And like, that's when you know you have a, a solid one. So, and yeah. I always thought what was weird. I always thought I was not a great writer. Like when I was coming up, I always thought I was just like a, like I always thought guys like you, I always like your, like Matt Z. I don't know if you remember Matt Z. Oh yeah. I always thought some guys like that were just really good writers. And uh, I don't know. I did, didn't think mine was. And then looking back. Uh, yeah, like my writing's good. I was, I was pretty solid. I had a joke that was like, I don't think it was stolen, but it ended up on the Daily Show almost word for word. So I was like, okay, that's, that's that was a solid sign. joke. <laughs> right, right. If you can like spare yourself the personal injury of that, that's a good sign. Yeah. Right. yeah. Exactly. I mean, I wasn't doing anything with it. So I mean, at least it found a home. For a better performer? Like that Say was him. Did you think your strength was a, being a better performer or a better improviser or a better? Yeah, I thought it was definitely the performance and. Uh, and improvisation just you know there was a lot of guys that had good write good jokes but they couldn't sell it you know they couldn't get on stage and I think that was that was a, a big bucket of comics that wanted to do comedy they wrote comedy and they wrote good jokes but they couldn't get on stage and sell it and perform it and make it come to life and that was I thought where my strength was I could really sell it like I was charismatic people were into watching me perform comedy so I didn't think my jokes were as good as theirs but I knew I could sell it Hmm. Interesting, man. That's and then it's fun. Like, had you stayed in it, eventually you would have been like, oh no, my jokes are just as good, if not better, my own thing. Right, right. Yeah. But that's 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 a good humility, I think, that like if you don't, as a especially as a younger comedian, like you don't think that you need some improvement in some aspect, like you are setting yourself up to get on a plateau real quickly. Yeah. Know, like, that artist, that that personality, it's always self-scrutinizing. I think you do need that. But the other weird thing is like, we 
uh, something that's come up in the show a lot is you kind of need that the opposite of that too. You need to be able to delude yourself into thinking that you have a possibility of defying these insane odds to become the next big thing, you know? Absolutely. Like when you're sitting there with all these other comics, you make great friends, you're hanging out, you're talking, oh man, I can't wait for this. Oh, it'd be so great if I wrote a sitcom one day. Oh, I'll have you in my writer's room. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Yeah. It's a certain point, like you need to do that, but it's also like children saying like, I'm going to be Superman when I grow up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Did, did but, you the, have, but believing it. Did you have um, that ability to like make you believe in yourself slash delude yourself into delaying the inevitable? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're exactly right, man. I think you have to have that, you know, to even do it, to try it and, you know, to commit to it and to stay in it for years. I think you have to have that because why else are you doing it? Like, what are you doing at these CD bars at two in the morning? You know, what, what's the point if it's not that you think you're, it's going to, it's going to pay off one day and you're going to be, you know, headlining the show instead of opening it or right. whatever the case may be. So yeah, I think for sure I had that. Um, and that was my, you know, I think that was the, that was you the, so much of it. And you'd like run out of it at a certain point, you know, is it? Yeah, that might be, it might be exactly that where it's, you know, you, you get beat down enough and you don't get that shot or you, you know what I mean? You, you stop getting the gigs, you stop getting the opportunities or you just stop doing it. Like in my case where you, well, yeah, you, that's the thing. Cause like, you can't even do it anymore. You weren't like uh, bad and then you stopped getting gigs. You walked away yeah you know like that there's the same thing though because it's like right now i feel can i even be funny anymore can i even be funny that same way and can i even deliver the way i did before can i connect with people now that i'm older and the audience may be younger and you know i may not i may not know some of the the things that are that are driving that group differently you know i was just i felt like more connected to culture at that time now i'm like a suburban dad so it's like you know i don't know you come out there and be like we're dabbing right is yeah. that what the kids are doing <laughs> exactly exactly i do not want to be that guy i oh, always wow. hated like you know when you first come up and you have the people that start doing comedy and they always tell you in those classes you know start writing from stuff you know and write about your job or stuff like that and i was like that's stupid i I never wanted to be i'm not going to write about being a doctor like if i there was those people that would write about that stuff but my thinking was they didn't come to see a doctor tell jokes they came to see a comic so you know you can write about your history but don't make it don't make it known that that's what you still do i always felt like that was how you had to separate that because they didn't come to see a doctor tell jokes like that's just not something anybody wants to go see interesting that is that comes into the line between like comedian and hobbyist almost. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I remember one of the first pieces of advice I got in Tampa was like, I would talk a lot about my side job. And then this, this guy who's super old school, he was like, he pretty much said the same thing. He's like, they don't want to come see a waiter doing comedy. They want to see a comedian doing comedy. Maybe you used to wait tables. Maybe you used right. to, you know, but uh, that hobby. And that experience is- can definitely mm-hmm. influence like your joke and, and something that people can relate to as long as it's, you know, across the board. But I, yeah, I fully agree. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't feel like that at all. The, uh, the hobbyist 
title is something that like when you're in stand-up comedy all the way it's almost like a what's well, like an insult to people it's like oh who's oh he's a hobbyist there's a dentist who comes here once every two months or whatever like on the flip side now being in a position to be that hobbyist yeah like i can appreciate them even more because they're not doing stand-up to make it they're doing stand-up yeah. because they want to do stand-up yeah you know it's, i think I, that's an interesting differentiation too but i i think that's partly why i haven't like put another set together too is because i remember how much time it took to get a good set together like i and i don't want to i don't want to half-ass it like if i'm going to do it i want it to be good mm. i want it even if i'm not trying to get a gig and not trying to get you know a feature role at, at the improv of houston like I, I just want it to be good i want it to be the best five minutes or the best three minutes or whatever it is and i know how much time it took for me to craft that you know what i mean so that's part of it is is i don't know if even as a hobbyist i could deliver at that level that i would want to yeah so, but i think it's also me just talking myself out of it you know what i mean exactly i think you're gonna have to temper your own expectations because when you were doing it back then you were you were hammering the sword every night you know you're gonna have to like go easy on yourself a little bit yeah you know before you can get because that's the only way you could get back to that good set is by giving that mediocre set 10 times yeah you're absolutely right that's true so texas this would be yeah. the place that you deliver that set in the future or wherever uh were you from florida you from miami i'm from st louis originally and then, but I spent so much time. I moved to South Florida in 99. I was mm. 20 to go to school. So I went to FIU, FIU. Um, graduated FIU. And I was there, just pretty much stayed. You know, I, I visited my brother who was living in South Florida at the time. Uh, me and my younger brother visited our older brother in the summer of 99. Like before I was, I was in University of Missouri for the year. Uh, we got out, we visited him. He took us to South Beach and I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm moving here. <laughs> like this is not missouri so yeah i'm, I'm out pull a this lebron james and just be like i'm gonna hang out in Miami yeah, for a while. <laughs> exactly literally i know that miami is not a place for broke men so like it's not <laughs> it's not made for us when you live there yeah <laughs> it's a very different vibe yeah but it was cool I, I i definitely like south florida for sure i miss i miss the beach and the food mm. Was the uh, so I mean, the cultural difference is what I'm interested in because, like, having done most of your stand up in Miami, multicultural, crazy. Yeah. I mean, it took me time to adjust coming to Denver, uh, big time. What do you think? Uh, do you know anything about the Texas scene? Do you anticipate like there being huge differences? Way, way to give me or? another reason to like not want to do it. I haven't even thought about that, but. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now that's another thing to like be concerned about. No, I, I definitely get the, there's definitely a huge cultural difference here in Houston than South Florida, obviously. So taking that into account um, would just take some, that, that's part of what you're talking about, just kind of sharpening the sword. So I would have to get out and fall on my face a few times to figure out what works and what doesn't. But I can, I can definitely envision myself going over to Austin because that's only a few hour drive and, you know, trying to get on some, on some stages out there too because that's that's going to be a vibe that's more similar to what i'm used to oh yeah that does seem like a lot less to think about I'm like do i wear a yeah. 10 gallon hat and a belt buckle or <laughs> oh no i could just be myself okay cool, cool, cool all right sounds good all right good <laughs> well damn it was um, like i mean that was the, they yeah. you know they always talked about 
when you talk to like more established comics, they used to love coming to West Palm because that was for some reason just a good stage where they could try out new stuff. And I remember going and seeing Chris Rock there one time. Um, I can't remember what special he was working on, but a lot of the jokes that were in that set, you know, you, you could tell when he's when they're working on stuff. And then usually when they hit a scene like that, they're trying to like find some new, new jokes and work on a new set or a new special. And he was in that stage where he was in between specials. And uh, it was a great show, but for some reason, I remember hearing that West Palm in particular was like a place where they would test out new material and sharpen their sword. And, huh. and for some reason, that improv was was a, a spot for that. I don't know why. I, wonder, I would think it would have been one of the other ones, but. Yeah, I'm like, I wonder if it's because it was so like low pressure in a way. I mean, that room is huge. So it feels yeah. like feels like a big room but you know the improvs i don't i think i only performed there once after the renovation and i did not like the acoustics at all it was very like theater yeah but i mean the improvs themselves is a whole can of worms because they have all sorts of different reputations i talked to one comedian and i can get a completely different uh opinion on the south florida improvs than another comedian really um some people loved it some people felt like abused spouses that were <laughs> neglected and abused and then all of a sudden when you're gonna leave they're like all right here's a gig i got a gig for you there you go and then yeah <laughs> yeah i could definitely see that because where did you, you fall know, i i you know they all had their different fingerprint i feel like you know each one the one at fort lauderdale at hollywood which i think is gone now i don't know i, I don't remember but um hmm. that was like home court for me like i felt most at home there i felt Welcome there. I was like, I was given a shot to like actually get some gigs there. So that one I felt at home. West Palm, I did not like as much. And then Miami was, Miami felt like a free-for-all. Like it was just <laughs> not surprising. It, yeah, it just felt wild. Like you never knew what to expect at the Miami Improv, I felt like. Uh, but it was a cool room to play. And they just had their own fingerprint. But I could definitely see, you know, we were talking earlier about just that comic, that scene around that time how many good comics came out of the South Florida scene. So I could definitely see how um, there was that neglect. Cause you know, you had guys like Adrian Mesa, which I found, I, I thought that guy was hilarious. Like anytime he said anything, it was just funny to me. Yeah, He could get up there and read the alphabet and I would laugh. Um, so just certain people I felt like didn't get as much of a, an opportunity in that, in that environment as probably they deserve. Right. You're yeah. right there. You know, it's like they wanted to bring. I think they felt like they needed to bring someone out. They had to import the talent when you had plenty of talent there. I, there was a handful of openings, like, but I, the only one that stood out was I got a chance to open for Andy Dick. That was the only one that was like the big one for me. I was like, How okay. was that? it was great. Yeah, he was awesome. He was, you know, nicest guy. He was polite um, to you. You know, he doesn't have the most uh, polite and uh, well-mannered reputation <laughs> these days backstage. He wasn't, yeah, he wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't one of those guys that was like going to push the issue and get in his face, but he was nice enough. We crossed paths, had a quick conversation and that was it. You know, it wasn't like his tongue down your throat or anything. No, yeah, I didn't grab my, didn't grab anything. You know, I was, I was, uh, I was safe. <laughs> Yeah, that's, nice guy. That guy was a, yeah, it was a boring story. I guess I like it's funny when would've you would've have had. a controversial comic, but it's a boring story about him. Like they're not a hundred percent monster. They had some bad times. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It sounds like he was a horrible person to some people, but uh yeah, he bought me a drink. And it wasn't uh, then I woke up in some out now. It wasn't that <laughs> <laughs> uh, damn, what a different time. Do I know, you, right? How do you um 
do you tell people about these times in your life? Like who, who do you reveal that like you used to do stand up or? Yeah. That's, a, that that's always a weird thing. Cause like, it is something I'm proud of. You know what I mean? Like when I, I did it and it's not something a lot of people do. And so I do feel proud about it. I do want to talk about it. I do want to say, you know, cause I did have some decent success in this little, you know what I feel like I, I use the analogy of like a high school athlete who got injured. Like he was a high school athlete who was like a standout, you know, running back or whatever the case may be. He was like all region or whatever you call it. And then he got an injury and his D1 scholarship went away and he had NFL dreams. That's how I feel like. I, and I don't know if I was that good at the time, but I feel like I was that good at the time. And so that's something that I do feel proud about, that I had solid jokes. You know, that was validation. I mean, we talked earlier about the Daily Show thing where I saw a joke that was almost word for word. I was like, wow, my jokes were pretty good. It's like I, I was delivering good material. So to answer your question in a long-winded way, I am proud of it, but it's not something where I like run around saying with a t-shirt on that says I used to be a stand-up comic. You know, when it comes up about, there's always that situation when you get a new job and they do the, uh, tell me something interesting about yourself. That's a lot of times the where I, where it comes up or, um, you know, there's people that I work with uh, now that have known me for years and they just found out maybe a few months ago. Um, Cause it just didn't come up, you know, I'm just, if it comes up organically, then I'll definitely mention it. But yeah, I'm not trying to like run around and be that guy that's holding on to greatness. Right. So yeah. Organically. That's, that's a good way to put it. It is just, it becomes like a, an interesting thing about you. Um, yeah. But when you it's were, I think anybody that's willing to get on stage and try it and do it and commit to it, not just the one time, but like work on it and continue to put different sets together and try different things things like you hosted a show for a long time i think those are noteworthy things that's not something most people do so it deserves recognition that's the way i feel about it at least so when you were a stand-up comedian how readily did you tell people about it were you always hustling and then when people heard you were stand-up comic and inevitably said tell me a joke what would you say uh, I, I went, so to answer that one first, I'd go to like the Joe Pesci line where like, what am I, a clown to amuse you? Like, no, <laughs> kick rocks. You can come to the show if you want to see a joke. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's like, I'm not a wind up doll where you just like twist it oh, up and the jokes come out. Five steps. So yeah, yeah, get out of here with that. There's no context for it. So like, I'm not just gonna run around telling you jokes, get out of here. So that was usually how I answered that one. Um, but no, it, it goes back to like what I mentioned earlier that I didn't, think my material was that great so I didn't market and at that time you know you had Facebook was really just starting to pop off so there wasn't really that social media aspect of marketing yourself the way it is now like MySpace was the number one at the time uh, so and I wasn't great at doing that then and I still am not great at marketing myself on social media so I would ask people and I remember I hosted a show at this uh this place I think it was called Pulp Pulp Live um, somewhere off federal. Um, it was a great venue. And I think they did more like live bands and stuff like that. So they didn't really do a lot of comedy and they probably didn't after they gave me a shot because we did not pack the house. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, uh, that was a rough one. I just, yeah, I, I wasn't great at that aspect of it, the business side. I'm definitely, I, I think if, if I was to go do it again now, um, I have a better understanding of how to use social media and how to market myself and a bit more confidence Mm -hmm. and putting myself out there 
that I think uh, I could do better at, at that aspect of it now. Yeah. And the, uh, that's what's so interesting about it is like, you take every comedian and like, maybe if you gave them the perfect circumstances, like they don't have to worry about money. They don't have to worry about family. No one got sick. There's nothing crazy in their life. They got a trust fund, uh, you know, yeah. those comedians can succeed. Like, you know, it's like, what would it take to make every comedian succeed? You know, because there's yeah. would, for the worst people, it would just take a lot more. Um, that's the kind of there's like, always that argument though though that like how much of the struggle is what com, com, you know is what you need made it. you yeah what, how much of the struggle how much of that right. having to do it is what made you great you know is what made you get over the top so i mean it's there's that argument too you know would dave Chappelle have been dave Chappelle if he just had just an easy upbringing you know, he had to, he had to, obviously he started really early, but right. if he didn't have a supportive mother, to your point, if his mother wasn't as supportive as she was driving him to shows and stuff like that, he probably wouldn't be Dave Chappelle. So there's that element of it. Yeah. You do need to have something that, you know, right. pushes you over the top. Any, cause you seem very well adjusted, you know, so my guess <laughs> they're not as comfortable in their relationship with like having left it behind or, or just putting it on the shelf yeah um do you like in that moment like going back to when you really had to decide like I, I can't do this anymore like was that tough for you to go through or did you have that those those other elements of why you stopped were so powerful that you were like no this is my family this is my kids like this isn't a bad thing like where if you can remember it all, like going where'd I fall on that spectrum? That process. Yeah, it was definitely, um, it was definitely difficult, man. Cause I, it was something that I really enjoyed. You know, I, I still love it. You know, the, the feeling my wife used to call me Jean Antoine. Like that's when, when I turn on and I become that it's like, Oh, Jean Antoine. Like, yeah, it's It's the full, I'm performing now. You know, if I get into groups, uh -huh. uh, and she'll see it start to turn on. She'll be like, oh, Gene Antoine is here tonight. So <laughs> it's that same thing. I feel like- uh, Alter ego, I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was very difficult, man. I remember, even though you, yeah, I, I, it was costing me money. It was making me nothing. Like I was getting nowhere. I remember this one time, me, I don't know if you remember, uh, Hanson Sinclair, uh, Eric Rodriguez, and a couple other people, I can't remember who else was with us. We drove over to Naples for a gig and um, did great. But like, we just drove over for the day, drank, had fun, and then drove back. Like that stuff was fun. It was a great road trip. It was a great experience hanging out with people. Like I still remember it. So I loved all of that. So leaving it was absolutely hard, but it was, um, you know, it was, it, there was a cost, something had to go there, you know, you can't have it all. So I had to, there was a cost to every, either decision had a cost. And I felt like with a newborn and with a, a woman at home, she was my girlfriend at the time. If I continued down that path, they would have been the cost. So it made the separation easier, um, but not, it, it wasn't easy by any stretch. Mm. I still have the itch, you know what I mean? Like this is eight, what, probably eight years later that I have been on stage since the last time. 
And like, I still have the itch, like something's got to give. I'm telling my wife now, I'm like, I don't know if it's a midlife crisis or if this is legitimate itch, but like something's got to give, man. So yeah, it's, for to be there this long after, it definitely was not easy. Mm. But yeah, I would say do a set instead of buying a Ferrari, okay? It's a lot <laughs> more affordable. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, if you see me with a motorcycle on, on Facebook all of a sudden. Oh, no, he like, went the wrong way. DM me like, Gene, come on, man. We talked about this. <laughs> oh, motorcycles. I wish I would. If, if there are force fields were invented, I'd have a motorcycle tomorrow. But oh, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not getting clipped out by someone texting on their phone. Yeah, um, no. So what kind of skill set has comedy given you? What kind of tools have you gained from that experience that you still use today that you still value? You know, one of the, I'd say I'm in sales now. So one of the biggest things I think is just relating to people and realizing that there's commonality with everybody. You know, I'm not a Trump guy. <laughs> I'm not a Trump supporter. This interview's over. Uh, Forget it. This those, is a MAGA podcast. <laughs> uh, but and there's a lot of, you know, there's folks, and I'm not saying like all Trump's, I'm not trying to put them all in a bucket, but what I am saying is there's ideologies that are very different than what I believe to be true, but it doesn't make me dislike them or, you know, or not see that there's still commonality between me and, and anybody else. You know, you get in a room of people of 300 people or whatever, 400 people, however many people are in a room and you tell a joke and they all laugh for the same reason at the same time. That means there's commonality amongst all of us. You know, that human experience is relatable. So I think that's one of the biggest things for me is that I can relate to anybody. You know, the fact that I was able to tell jokes that people laugh at, I can relate to anybody in any situation and just being able to get in front of people and present and talk. You know, that's one of the things that most people are terrified of. And that's a biggest part of my job now. And it's it makes it very easy to get up and do that. Um, and I think it, it helps me be successful in this job now, which has nothing to do with comedy. But the skill sets, I think, translate really well. Are you ever up there like doing some sales and then a little voice in the back of your head is like, oh, this would be really funny to say. And you're like, no, 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 100, no. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, there's absolutely times where I laugh to myself and I'm like, I could never say that in front of these people. But <laughs> I would love to. I wish I could. And then I write it down for later. Yeah, for sure. That commonality is interesting because I think that's a good reason you can uh, not worry so much about doing comedy in Texas since you've already worked so much on that comment. Texas people ain't that different, you know? No. I mean, they are. They're good they people, are. man. They're good. They get a bad rap. They're good people down here. Mm. Some of them are. Some of them do suck. I'll be honest. know from what <laughs> I just getting a little more purple. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, red, blue, it's like it, people are people at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like people get too deep into their camps and that causes more division than anything. It's like, just talk to people. Once you talk to people, you care about the people. You know, so it's... There's good people here for sure, but there's, uh, look, Florida, it's not like Florida is full of good folks. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. And maybe Texas is a little more predictable as far as the weird people in Miami. You exactly. Know yeah. You kind of know what to expect. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Every country in the world is hanging out there. Right. Uh, all kinds of people. I love it. Um, all right. So your, your, uh, your oldest gets a little bit older. 14, 15 years old, they're like, Dad, I heard you did stand-up. I was thinking about it. Yeah. What, what, how do you deal with that? I would love that, man. I, and actually, he had a, was it last year or two years ago, there was like a talent show that he was talking about. He's a much more reserved 
kid. So he's not the gregarious, like outgoing. My daughter, our middle kid is definitely the big personality. Mm. So I could see her maybe doing it, but she's also shy in those moments. So we'd have to bring it out of her. But if they came up and they said they want to do it, I was like, when that came up and he said he had a talent show, I was like, let's do stand up. I was trying to get him to do it. I was right. like, I'll help you write jokes. Like kid jokes are the easiest. Like I can kill in a, in a kid's <laughs> choice in words. I'll, I'll destroy. <laughs> right. It's like playing dodgeball with kids. It's yeah, like, it's, it's the easiest you don't even know the about the rule of three. Bow. <laughs> right. Like, we were watching, a, I was like, we were watching Avengers and he actually said the joke that was pretty funny. Cause like the, on the end game, he was in there, Thanos was making his soup or whatever. And they just came in and cut his arm off. He was like, dang, the guy was just making soup. Like, why is he, he wasn't even fighting you at that point. Like, now you're just disrupting his dinner. And I was like, that would work. <laughs> got the instincts. Yeah, he's got the jokes. So yeah, if he did it, absolutely, I would love it. And I would try to help him. There was a kid, I don't know if you remember him. I don't remember his name, but I think his mom used to do comedy. And she helped him write jokes. And he was like 13 years old. A uh, little white kid, and I cannot remember his name, but he had a couple jokes that were pretty solid. Um, in South Florida, same type of scenario, yeah, right. I cannot That's happening remember more than ever these days. You get some phenoms, really, yeah, young things trying it, which is cool. But yeah, so if he tried, I would absolutely so be behind it. Man. You wouldn't like, be uh, right. I mean, they'd be fine trying it, but what if your kid's like, "Oh no, I want to be a comic." Go for it. My thing is, you like, wouldn't have to be whatever... like, "Okay, but watch out for this. Watch out for that." Yeah. No, you know, you gotta, you gotta live life. Like there's, I'm going to give you tips on life in general, but there's things that there's things that he's going to have to go through. Like all, both of my kids, there's things that they're going to have to go through to figure it out for themselves, but they'll, they can filter it through the stuff we give them. But you know, it kind of goes back to what we said earlier, like me feeling that I started too late and finding my thing that I think was my thing, but finding it at 30, had he, had they found their thing now, we can figure out what your thing is now and nurture that and you're going to be happier because then you don't have to make that choice later. You likely won't have to make that choice later because mm-hmm. it's already in you. You've already been working on it. You've been growing it. You've been crafting it. You, you know, hopefully find success earlier. So absolutely, I'm, I'm for it. Like we're blessed to be in a country where you can make a living doing comedy and making jokes about whatever you want. You know what I mean? So we'll see what happens this cancel culture is kind of ruining comedy a little bit but uh <laughs> you know I, I would be behind it for sure whatever they want to do it's like for me i want them to find their thing early whatever uh, it is so that they don't have to make that choice jump on it yeah you just tape a microphone to your youngest hands right now ah. <laughs> you will love this <laughs> uh you ran into an interesting point there that we can round out maybe the conversation with um, how comedy has changed, how we, you know, we, when we got into comedy, we could look in the rearview mirror and see like in the eighties, it was a little more cheesy and that was getting a little more real, maybe a little more self personal. And now we're, we're definitely into an age where like personal stories are more normal than like jokes you could steal from someone else. Yeah, but wokeness and cancel culture and um, comedy that is more right than funny. You know, those are all issues that I hear people bring up as far as the challenges in comedy these days. Do you have any opinions? You mentioned cancel culture. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, you can't, I just feel like you can't, there's a line, right? You know, the whole Kramer thing. I remember when that happened and he was just like yelling at the guy, calling, saying the N word. 
a part of me as a comic wants to be like, you know, he's trying something. It's horrible what he did, but I feel like we have to have the space to be able to try something like, and be smart about it. Like what he did was just stupid. And it's probably a terrible example, but it's the most extreme example. It's a good example. Yeah. But like, and aftermath, you like, I don't think there's no, there's not a lot of evidence that he's an actual racist person, but right. there's a lot of evidence that he takes a lot of comedic risks. And this was the dumbest comedic risk of his life. Exactly. Exactly. And it cost him, you know what I mean? And long as it, cause he, cause he, it's the most extreme example. Like he took it as far as you possibly could take it yeah. and it didn't work. You know, it, it sure cost did. him a lot. Uh, Happy Black History Month, already... everyone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's ironic. Good. Well, well done, Reskin. Well done. Um, but, you know, it, I think there's got to be some space for people because what is it's one thing for like Dave Chappelle to do sticks and stones. He's already Dave Chappelle and he's already hilarious. So he can take that and make it funny. And people there's going to be people that are mad about it, but there's going to be a lot more people that are OK with it. Because he's Dave Chappelle. Now, if Gene or Daniel goes out and tries to do that at the same time, and we're at the local comedy store, whatever it is, is that gonna land? No, are we gonna have the space? Are we gonna be able to do that? No, because right. I feel like people are just way too sensitive now about these things. And I mean, it's just, it's really wild how things can change so quickly. Um, Cause it, you can always go back, like you watch Eddie Murphy Raw, for example, when he was talking about being in San Francisco, was a horrible joke you know it, in terms of if you filter it through today like a lot doesn't hold up no but it was it's a it's a hilarious joke so you have to keep <laughs> things in context you know and i'm not saying he was right for saying i'm just saying he's wrong i'm not trying to be like the moral compass on it but you have to take things as as part of the time as well you know like you can't go back and then cancel that 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 special that's one of the greatest comedy specials of all time you right. know so you can't go back and cancel that because he said some uh, offensive things which are lousy, um, but you know, you acknowledge that. So I don't know, I, I feel like people have to have the space now. So I, I feel like fail, right? This culture is going to really stymie the, the up and coming comics. Like it might not affect stuff now, you know, cause you have artists like Kevin Hart and Bill Burr and maybe not Kevin Hart, but Bill Burr and Louis, C, well, Louis CK got canceled. Uh, <laughs> outspoken, these outspoken guys. Yeah. You have these guys that are going to go for it and they have the clout to do I mean, it. Chappelle but, is one of them. Right. I mean, and they get yeah. the backlash. I mean, he get he got so much backlash from the specials, but it was drowned He's out by the people who understood what he was doing and the success and the, you know, exactly. So in 10 years time, what is this comedy scene going to look like? Is it going to be the sterilized, you know, version of itself? I, I'm not, I'm not excited for, <laughs> uh, I'm not excited for it. Just because I feel like that's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna come at a cost. You know, it's kind of been the theme of the episode. Like every decision has a cost, and I think that's gonna affect the quality of comedy. But that's also one of the things that makes me nervous about getting back out there too. Yeah, sure. Everyone's walking on eggshells in a certain way, and uh, I, I definitely, I don't know how it's gonna get dealt with, but comedy is definitely gonna have to deal with this issue in a way that, like, you let people fail at a certain level without lighting them on fire and like throwing them away. Like we can't, we can't throw people away. But how do you so do quickly. that though with social media? Like it, it happens in a blink and you can be done in a blink before you even get started. You know what I mean? Like, how do you navigate that? You're still going out. So how do you navigate it? I mean, I think I'm in a good position because my natural 
opinions are not really like cancelable opinions. Right. <laughs> um, I'm pretty safe. <laughs> but, but at the same point, I don't shy away from like controversial issues. But I do, I mean, I err on the side of kindness. I err on the side of explanation. And there's a certain amount of like, you know, if you were going to tell a joke about this 10 years ago about like a culture, maybe you could just tell it. But now maybe you have, you need a line explaining like, when I grew up, I spent all my, I, I was with Jamaicans all this time in my Kung Fu group and we did all this stuff. And now, so yeah. now if I do a Jamaican accent, it's not racist or something yeah. like that. Like, cause I spent hours, you know, years of my life. Yeah, you got to qualify it now. There's some kind of explanation or some kind of like, how, who's this guy? How can this guy say that what this is? And that was, I mean, in Miami, I could, I love doing all sorts of multicultural accents and explorations and stuff in Denver. I had to pump my brakes because certain ways they would take it or if i didn't set it up the right way they're like who's this white boy what the hell and like yeah is like me who's never met a brown person in my life or you know <laughs> so many people but but definitely I, I don't think it's a i think it's like the me too movement in that it's something that we really needed but it has gone to an extreme where maybe like certain people that didn't deserve to be on the level of Harvey Weinstein, like Aziz Ansari, that whole thing. Yeah. He had some clumsy bullshit, but he was no Harvey Weinstein, you know? Yeah. Or Al Franken. Like we canceled those people who had done way less offenses. I think it's, it's, we're going to have to just let the pendulum swing back. It's good that we're sensitive. It's good that comedy is now about relating personal, deeply unimitatable stories and stuff, but it's still fart jokes and it's still poop jokes. And it's right. still, <laughs> you know, it's, it's always going to be a line, but yeah, I, hope, I think we're swinging back from it. And, and I'm curious to see how the next generation who was raised in this right, either rebels against it or figures it out. Leans into or, it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and old farts like us will be like, whoa, I never thought of that. That's <laughs> right. Back in my day, yeah, we'll either be complaining about it or saying, oh, that's a smart way to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, I hope I appreciate it because there's that side of me that I don't know. Can you still watch stand up for a while? I couldn't. You know, I, it's funny you bring that up. I, I don't watch it. You know, a special will come out and I'll like want to watch it. And then I just don't. And I don't know All why that is. I haven't really reconciled why that is, but I think it's just, I don't know. I feel like it's maybe like, uh, like having your heart broken, like you're in a relationship with somebody you and you just you know you break up you don't want to see pictures of them anymore you don't <laughs> yeah you block them on facebook so i think part of it's that where i just uh i, I don't want to i don't want to feel like i'm missing out i don't want to feel like that so i avoid it 100 percent. i will i will put so many specials on my queue to watch and then yeah. just, and then i'll watch, watch like it. an hour-long youtube video instead and i could you know whatever <laughs> yep we got to figure that out risking we got to we got to do something about that's not that's not healthy either true <laughs> right we're only hurting ourselves we're only depriving ourselves of something we enjoy exactly done at a high level well cool i believe that's most of the questions i have um if there's anything else that you would like to touch on or talk about or promote or anything like that yeah yours? No, nothing to promote uh yeah nothing any upcoming yeah, nothing sales to... shows yeah, exactly yeah our, our business, uh, we have a great, no, uh, no, yeah, nothing, nothing specific to talk about, man. I just, uh, I appreciate you having me on. It's been, 
it's actually been kind of therapeutic to be able to talk through it and reflect a bit. So yeah, thanks for having me, man. Good. That's the, that is like, it was therapy for me and it's there. That's, I'm happy to know that other people can gain something from it as well. Yeah, and, and the people absolutely. listening, I've heard people listening who aren't even into comedy. They're like, this applies to my life directly. And I've never been near. Really? That's so, yeah, a lot of people. I wouldn't even think about that. Dealing with failure slash renewal. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of uh, artists and musicians can relate, actually. Totally. And, and even just like accountants, <clears throat> fucking, like everyone's got that something in them. And like maybe to them, their stand up comedy is like swimming or some shit, you know? You right. Know, it's know. true. It could be anything, whatever that passion is. Yeah. Well, thank you for exploring it. Thank you for being so open and honest and sharing your story with us. For sure, man. Thanks again for having me. All right. Official close. Thank you, Gene Antoine. <laughs> Gene Antoine out. Thank you. Thanks, brother. <laughs>